The text for this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 6. We'll read verse 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Brothers and sisters in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's Thanksgiving weekend, good to reflect on how to live a life of thankfulness. But how do we live a life of thankfulness? How do we see things in our life? Or how do we think of God in our lives? As we live each day, as we live from day to day, Where is our focus? And how can we be prepared to live a life of thankfulness? Are you ready to serve the Lord with your life? Fully? Totally? In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that Isaiah the prophet received a vision of the Lord in the days of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. But it's only when we come to Isaiah chapter 6 that we come to the start of his ministry. He first writes prophecies probably from the time of the last year of King Uzziah. It was a time of turmoil, 
A time of great rebellion. And now in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah jumps back to the start of his ministry, to his calling to the ministry, we could say. Now, text 2 begins with some background information. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It was probably the last year of his rule. He was very sick with leprosy. People could probably see that he was going to die. Now, King Uzziah died roughly in 740 BC. And having that date, we know of what happened around that time. We also read from the life of King Uzziah from 2 Chronicles chapter 26. There it tells us that King Uzziah was a rich and powerful king. He extended his borders greatly. He raised a huge army. His time is characterized by the time of great prosperity, riches, and also widespread peace. In fact, since the time of King Solomon... There wasn't a time when Judah was as rich as during the time of King Uzziah. Yet King Jeroboam II in the north, King Uzziah in the south, and the territory of the two together was as large as the territory of King Solomon. They were both kings that were powerful, internationally important. But riches so often... Bring pride, self-trust along with it. And it was no different here. The prophet Isaiah draws a clear picture throughout his book of the people of his day. The people of Judah rebelled against God. They wanted it their way. Instead of praising God for all the things that they receive from Him, for all the blessings they receive from day to day, the people called evil good and good evil. Instead of thanking God for the prosperity they received, the people indulged themselves. They ate and they drank lots of wine and were only interested in their own welfare. But now, the very year that this King Uzziah died, Isaiah the prophet receives a vision from the Lord. Now we have to understand that this time period was a fragile time period. King Uzziah had been king for 52 years, an incredible amount of time. Now it's true that his son Jotham had been ruling on his behalf for some years already. But it seems that King Uzziah was a powerful king, a king with a lot of knowledge, a king who knew how to rule. And now his son Jotham had to take over the full reins without his father to advise him any longer. Moreover, during this time, there were two nations that were rising up. Syria, just to the north, was getting stronger. But there was an even larger nation, Assyria, that was becoming stronger. They were posing a great threat from the north. Tiglath-Pileser III arose as a powerful king over Assyria, a king that wanted to expand his territory. He wanted to conquer. With such an international threat and with a new king on the throne, it was a time of uncertainty 
a time of upheaval. What was going to happen? And so in this time of prosperous uncertainty, Isaiah receives a prophecy. Isaiah receives a vision from the Lord in the year that King Isaiah dies. It's at that time that he receives his official task. But he needs to be prepared for that task. Let's consider this morning how he is prepared for his task to minister to a rebellious people. And we'll see what we can learn from this also for our own tasks and how we are too. We are also to live a life in thankfulness to the Lord. So let's look at that under the following theme and points. God's servant is prepared for his work by means, first of all, of a powerful confrontation, verse 1 to 4, a humble confession, verse 5, and thirdly, a gracious condescension, verse 6 to 8. Isaiah the prophet is confronted with a powerful picture of the Almighty God. He gets a glimpse of God's throne room. And the first picture that he sees of God is that of a great, majestic, exalted and holy God. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. God is clearly sitting in a temple on a throne here. Now, the picture that we get is a heavenly picture, but it's a picture that Isaiah the prophet understands well. We need to know that Isaiah the prophet lived in the city of Jerusalem, and central to the city of Jerusalem was the great temple of the Lord. Now, it wasn't as fancy as it was in the days of King Solomon, but the temple was certainly still very impressive. Isaiah understood the temple. It was the physical presence represented the physical presence of the Lord that was represented there. And just as he knew that temple, he now gets a picture of a heavenly temple. The throne room of God himself. The real thing. And here it's compared to a temple with pillars, an altar, and so on. Isaiah looks and sees God in a throne room. And this throne room is described in terms that he understands because he knew knew the temple. But note here that God himself is described with the trail or end piece of his robe. Now Isaiah talks about seeing God, but then he only talks about the end piece of his robe. Where is God? Is God not in the temple? Why does Isaiah suddenly start talking about some of his clothing? Well, it's a beautiful description that we get here. Notice what it says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And then it goes away from the picture of God himself. And it says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What's the train of his robe? It's not just his clothes. It's only one cloak, only, only the, 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 the back side of his clothes. And it's not even the whole garment. It's the tiny end piece of that garment. And yet that tiny end piece of the garment of the Lord fills the whole picture of the temple that Isaiah sees. It fills the whole heavens. God is too big to describe. 
Even that tiny end piece of his robe fills the whole picture. I cannot look at God. He is far too big for description. Words cannot express his greatness, his immenseness. What an incredible picture. Isaiah also goes on to describe seraphs. Our text says that above it or above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Above it would be better. It's probably above the towel end piece of the robe. They're certainly not above God. And these seraphs are described as angels, burning ones. That's what the word seraph really means. They're burning ones. God is often described as being surrounded by fire. Fire blocked the way to the tree of life, a flaming sword. Moses was blocked to the presence of God also by a burning bush. Fire surrounds the Lord. Many of the Psalms describe God in a similar way as being surrounded by fire. Fire protects or guards the throne of God. And in a similar way, these fiery creatures, these seraphs, protect and surround the throne of God. But note the wings of these fiery creatures. Our text says that they have six wings. Two, they cover their faces. Two, they cover their feet. And with two, they're constantly flying. What does that mean? What does that refer to? First of all, two, cover their faces. They cannot see God. Notice what Moses does at the burning bush. Exodus 3 verse 6 tells us that Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God is too holy to look at. And these seraphs understand this. We cannot look at God. God is too holy to look at. And then the second set of wings With the second set of wings, they cover their feet. In Ezekiel 1, something similar is described. Cherubs vow their whole body there from God. The seraphs are self-conscious. They cover their feet. Now we have to understand to the Israelites, feet were a dirty part of your body. We can think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's a dirty part of their body. It's a less honorable part of the body. And the picture we get here too is of Sarah's being self-conscious. They need to cover up their less honorable parts. God cannot look at them. These Sarah's realize that they're not worthy to be gazed at by the Almighty. They're only creatures. And God will be the exalted creator. The Sarah's are self-conscious. They are finite They realize how small, how insignificant they are in comparison to this awesome God. They recognize that they will only be creatures and God will be God. There's a third set of wings. And with that third set of wings, they're constantly flying. And here we can think of a picture of a bird. A bird guarding and feeding its young. It hovers continually, looking for food, protecting the young, always ready to help the young. In a somewhat similar way, these angels are constantly on wing, ready at any command of the Lord to act, 
to move, to do the will of God. They are constantly on wing. They're constantly ready and willing to serve the Lord. And these seraphs, these angels, these fiery ones are calling to one another, probably in antiphonal singing. They open their lips and they use these lips to praise the Lord God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice the repetition of the word holy. The number that God applies to himself so often in the Old Testament. Three. God is a trying God. And this comes out more in the New Testament. But certainly this great God is holy, holy, holy. He's set apart beyond and above all else. His glory exceeds everything. His majesty, His wisdom, His righteousness, His justice. It is holy, 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 set apart above and beyond everything that we can know and understand. And then it says that His glory fills the whole earth. Psalm 72, verse 18 and 19, links the glory of God with His marvelous deeds. God's marvelous deeds are done throughout the whole world. His glory is filling the world. It's very interesting that in Isaiah's day, there was a nation that was rising to the north, a nation that looked like they were going to conquer the covenant people of God. But when Isaiah receives his vision, it becomes clear to Isaiah and to all of us It's not Assyria that has control of the world. It is the Lord God and His glory that covers the world. He is in control. His glory covers the world. It fills the whole earth, not just Israel. And then it also mentions that the voice of these angels shake. Their voices shake the doorposts and the thresholds. More literally, the foundations of the threshold or the doorposts of the threshold shake. Now, you may have heard that during an earthquake, one of the safest places to stand is in the doorframe. It's one of the safest spots in the older houses where the doorframes were made stronger. But notice that here, the very doorframe of the heavenly temple was shaking at the sound of these seraphs. It was an incredible song that they sang, a powerful song that they sang. And furthermore, the temple was also filled with smoke. These flaming messengers were creating smoke as they sang. Their singing filled the whole temple with smoke. And here again, we get the picture of God and of the temple in the Old Testament. Right in front of the Holy of Holies, there was an altar, the altar of incense. And the incense, the smoke of that, that offering went into the Holy of Holies and filled the ark. So there was kind of like a smoke that covered the ark and a delicious smell, a beautiful smell. And in a similar way here, we get the picture of the heavenly throne room and smoke covering the presence of God, just like in the temple on the earth. Brothers and sisters, what an incredible sight all of this is for Isaiah the prophet. What a powerful vision to receive before he's asked to go out and prophesy against those rebellious people that will not turn to the Lord. What a strong reminder of the holiness of God. What a powerful image of the almighty God. 
and it's written down for our instruction too. We serve this very same God. And we may live too from day to day and we need to realise who this God is, who we are dealing with. Now it is true that Isaiah the prophet does live in a different time than we do. Whereas in the days of Isaiah the prophet, the Lord revealed himself directly, explicitly, because the word, the Bible, had not yet been completed. Today we have the full scriptures, and all scripture is God-breathed. Whereas Isaiah is called to be a prophet of the Lord, bring a message directly from the Holy One of Israel. Today we have the written word of God, down, written down for our instruction. We no longer have God communicating in the same way. In fact, the Apostle John, in his Gospel 12, verse 41, tells us Isaiah actually saw the glory of Jesus. The glory that Isaiah saw became man in the time of Jesus, in the time of the Apostle John, in the person of Jesus. Christ came to reveal the glory of God directly to us. Isaiah only saw a glimpse only saw a reflection. We get to see the, the real thing and know the real thing. But nevertheless, the person of God himself is and remains unchanging. He remains the holy God surrounded with hosts of angels praising him from day to day. When we worship the Lord our God from day to day, then we are worshipping the holy majestic and exalted God whose train of the robe fills the whole temple. Brothers and sisters, are you aware of the holiness of our God? Are you aware and do you stand in awe of his greatness and majesty? Are you aware of his incredibly great power and glory? Let us know the greatness and majesty of our God, and stand in awe of him. Let us approach him recognizing and acknowledging that God is so different. Holy, holy, holy. And all, let us humble ourselves, recognizing whom we are dealing with and who we are in comparison to this great God. Isaiah sees, he sees a picture of the Lord Almighty and he comes to a powerless confession. He realizes his insignificance and worthlessness, powerlessness. And let's consider that in the second place, a powerless confession. Isaiah sees the throne room of God Almighty, the Holy One of Israel, and he hears these righteous seraphs singing their song. He sees their lips moving and expressing the greatness and holiness of God. And all that he can do, out, do is cry out in despair, Woe is me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Isaiah cries, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. 
I live among a people that have filthy lips, sinners. And yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Isaiah is certain that he'll die. There's no way that he can survive. Who can see God and live? Who can look at the Holy One of Israel and survive? Furthermore, the prophet Isaiah realizes that the seraphs only have their finitude, the fact that they're mere creatures to deal with. But Isaiah has an even bigger problem that he needs to deal with. Something else setting him apart from God. Sin. The seraphs, being only creatures before a holy and almighty God, are already covering their feet, covering their eyes. They cannot look at God. They need to cover their finitudes. They have a strong realization whom they stand before. But Isaiah is not only a creature, he's a sinful creature. He needs the grace of God. And whereas the seraphs still sing about the holiness of God with clean lips, Isaiah knows that he has unclean lips, that he is a sinner. He is doomed. He's certain that he's doomed. Not only is he unclean, he lives among a people that are totally unclean. A people with unclean lips. The kings of Judah at that time, Uzziah and his son Jotham, are generally described as good and faithful kings. It's true. But yet Isaiah 5 verse 19 tells us that the people mocked the Holy One of Israel. They called evil good and good evil. Let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so that we may see it. Let it approach. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so that we may know it. They wish to control God rather than let him, the Almighty One, control them. They wish to put God in a certain spot so that they could maneuver him. But at the end of the day, is that not really what King Uzziah also did? We read a part of 2 Chronicles 26. There it tells us that King Uzziah was generally a righteous king, but ended up entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense there, something he wasn't allowed to do. And while he was burning incense there in the holy place, priests followed him, him in to rebuke him. And that's quite an incredible thing. The king was like a dictator in those days. Whatever the king did, he did. And you could not reject him. You could not go against him. But the priests realized they had a greater master to serve and they needed to follow the king in. And this king then exposed his weakness, his unholiness, right there in the holy place, a place very close to the presence of God on earth, the ark. And the result? Leprosy. God struck him with leprosy, a wasting disease. He failed to take the holiness of God into account and so exalted himself above God. And so he had to be thrown out of the temple and even out of the royal palace. He lived as a leper the rest of his life. What a contrast this forms with the seraphs before the throne of God. The seraphs understand the holiness of God. King Isaiah was willing to look a little closer at the holiness of God. He entered into the holy place, very close to the holy of holies. He thought he could look at God a little closer. He was proud. But instead, the seraphs covered their eyes. 
We cannot look at God. God is too holy to behold. King Uzziah and the covenant of people of Judah were willing to expose themselves before God. Uzziah, the king, even becomes angry right there in the holy place. Angry at the priests of God, the servants of God. In contrast, the seraphs cover their feet. They realize how small they are in comparison to the great God. They are not willing to expose themselves. Uzziah serves God in his own manner, not according to the laws of God. He's not willing to listen to God when he speaks. In fact, when God speaks to the priests, he stands against them. He poses them at first until leprosy breaks out. But in contrast, the seraphs are always on wing, ready at any given point to do the will of the Lord, to do the will of the Almighty. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you take the holiness of God into account and realize who you are before this Almighty God, before this holy God? Do you recognize that God hates Sin, that the righteous one cannot stand unrighteousness. And as we do our tasks in this world, let us, like the seraphs who cover their eyes, be aware that we live before a holy God. Let us cover our feet, recognizing that we're creatures and that we have sin and weakness. Isaiah is prepared for ministry by seeing and experiencing the holiness of God so that he comes to realize how small he is and how unholy he is in the presence of the Almighty. And you, do you recognize how small you are? But there is more that Isaiah sees. And we'll see that in the third point, a gracious condescension. Our text then says that one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from, with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah the prophet had felt he was ready to die, doomed to die. But God was preparing him for service. And now he was graciously freeing him from the woe that he felt. The picture presented here is of a seraph carrying a live coal, a burning red-hot coal from the altar. It's a picture very similar to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament times. On that day, Leviticus 16 tells us, the high priest had to slaughter a bull for a personal sin offering and take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord. He had to take a live coal inside the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, into the very presence of God. And these live coals represented the sacrifice that covers his sin and covers the sin of the people. The live coal represents the forgiveness of sins. And now one of these seraphs, ready on wing, hears the command of God to take one of these live coals 
And at that given point, that seraph is ready to do so. He obeys the will of God and carries that live coal and touches the lips of Isaiah with that live, burning, hot coal. Ouch! But we do not read of an ouch. You can imagine that that coal would have hurt his lips. But Isaiah has something else that worried him a lot more. Woe is me, he'd cried. My sin, my unclean lips, and the people of unclean lips, they worry Isaiah more. When this burning coal touches Isaiah's lips, it purifies him. It purifies him from his uncleanness. Both sin and guilt is removed. His lips are no longer unclean. Wow, his past, his present sins, they've all been removed. And brothers and sisters, even though we may not be called to the same prophetic ministry as Isaiah was, we still serve a holy and majestic God, an awesome God. And just like Isaiah, we too deserve to die. We're certainly not worthy of the grace of God. And yet, God has also reached out to us in his incredible grace. Whereas with Isaiah, there was simply a symbol of that satisfaction. We may know of one that fully and truly satisfied, even though the burning coal that touched the lips of Isaiah was a symbol of purification that the Passover lamb brought. Our Passover lamb has been slain. And then we finally come to verse 8. Here we have the purpose of the whole vision. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. God is in his heavenly throne room. He's probably in meeting with his angels. And Isaiah the prophet is also hearing and seeing this meeting. And God is speaking there. Who will go for us? Who will be my messenger? Who will bring this horrible message to a rebellious people, who will go for us? And Isaiah, who's just been cleansed, who realizes that his sins have been removed, says, I am ready. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah has been cleansed for the job and he's rearing and ready to go. In fact, he cannot but go. Much like Jeremiah, the prophet says later on, The word of the Lord is in me like a fire. I cannot hold it in. When Isaiah the prophet realizes the grace of God, he is prepared for action. When his conscience is cleared because his sins are covered, he's ready to volunteer. Whereas a moment ago he was ready to die. He was certain that he would die. He's now willing to preach the gospel. And that wasn't an easy task that he was given. It wasn't an easy job that he received. But he realizes that if God can cleanse his unclean lips, could he not also cleanse the lips of others, of those people of unclean lips among whom he lives and among whom he must serve? Isaiah jumps at the hint of action. Just like those seraphs on wing, always willing and ready to serve, Isaiah too is now willing and ready to serve. 
And brothers and sisters, are you willing and ready to serve? Are you ready to take up your task in the kingdom of our God and to do it recognizing the holiness of God? Or do you serve with a proud, self-assured heart? Do you work humbly, knowing yourself, your weakness, your sin? Or do you somehow think that you deserve your wages, deserve certain blessings you receive? Do you work knowing and recognizing the grace of God in your life? And that that grace of God empowers you to act, to live for the Lord, to seek his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, are you ready to serve the Lord in his kingdom work? And do you rejoice greatly in your awesome God? How do you view God? How do you view yourself in comparison? And how ready are you to follow him at every turn? Amen.